This is a CBC podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics podcast for Wednesday, January 24th. A Liberal MP says Justin Trudeau's leadership should be put to a vote. Find out why coming up and hear what caucus has to say about it. Plus, explosive news in the world of hockey. Police in London, Ontario reportedly order five professional players to surrender to face sexual assault charges. We'll have more details on that. A Liberal Member of Parliament says he thinks it's time for the party to consider a leadership review of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. If you go from a majority government to a minority government, there's supposed to be a leadership review. That hasn't happened. And we went to a minority government in 2019. Let's clear the air. Let's, you know, let's, as a party, let's clear the air. And uh, if, if people are still intent on uh, having the leader we have now, fine. But at least give people the opportunity to have their say or what they think the par- direction the party is going. It's not clear for you right now whether Justin Trudeau is the right leader for the Liberal Party. No, it's not clear. Laurence Martin broke this story. She's a parliamentary correspondent with Radio Canada here in Ottawa, and she was in my home province of Newfoundland and Labrador <laughs> to speak to Ken McDonald. Which uh, is really nice. It's a really nice province. <laughs> uh, it, it sure is. I, I tell you, and the politicians are obviously very outspoken. I yep. mean, Ken McDonald has, has uh, broken ranks with the government before, yep. voted against them on a couple of things when it came to the carbon tax. But this is a whole different level uh, for Ken McDonald. Why do you think this is, he's saying this stuff now? I felt that when he spoke to me, he had nothing to lose. I also felt that he feels on the ground in his riding of Avalon in his province a lot of anger toward Justin Trudeau. And he's actually wondering whether Justin Trudeau is still the right leader for the party. You know, he told me there's almost a hatred toward Prime Minister Minister Trudeau right now. Now, he wouldn't go as far as saying, look, Justin Trudeau needs to go. But you've heard him in the clip. He said it's not clear whether he's Mm -hmm. still the right leader. Now, you and me, David, we speak to a lot of sources. We speak to a lot of liberal MPs. Some of them who have said to us in private, you know, when we go door knocking right now, it's not easy. The name Justin Trudeau doesn't help us necessarily as much as he's used to in the past. But this is very different. This is really straightforward. So I think either Ken McDonald has nothing to lose or maybe also he wants to send a clear message to his colleagues in Ottawa saying, look, it's not easy right now to be a federal MP in Newfoundland in a riding that has some rural areas. Um, It's not clear whether he will run again in federal politics in the next election. He might also be interested in running provincially. We don't know. Uh, But, yeah, this was... uh, this was something. Yeah, well, it's key you say he has nothing to lose because there is this. Uh, I picked that up. We've been hearing it for a while. And I heard it when I was home for yeah. Christmas that Ken McDonald is very likely to run provincially. Certainly the provincial Liberal Party mm-hmm. thinks that, that he may do that. And, and that may be playing a role, as you were saying, in him offering some of this commentary, right? Yeah, distancing himself from, from Justin Trudeau, that might help him provincially. Absolutely. Right, because yeah. it's interesting, because there's a by-election happening in Newfoundland and Labrador right now, provincially, and the Liberals are running a star candidate there, but they do not have the Liberal logo or the Liberal Party name on any of their signs. It says Team Fury, and that is deliberately to distance yeah. themselves from the sen- sentiments hmm. that Ken McDonald I- I- is expressing. So you were there yep. to not just to speak to Ken McDonald, but to sort of assess whether the carve-out the Liberals announced on uh, the carbon tax for home heating oil 
was paying any kind of political dividends. What did you hear and see on that in the trip? Well, it didn't seem like it did, or perhaps not to the extent that the liberals were expecting it. So basically, we met Kent McDonald at the end of the day, and during the morning, the afternoon, we just spoke to voters. And, you know, for instance, you enter a small restaurant, first comment you hear, the chef is saying, I just don't like Justin Trudeau, I'm going to vote for Pierre Poiliev, I like the conservatives. We also met three liberal women, three retired women who used to vote liberal, some will again, but one of them said, I can't stand Justin Trudeau anymore. And then we asked her why, and she couldn't define what it was. She just said, I just can't support him. To me, he's annoying. So at the end of the day, when we met Ken McDonald, we had a sense of why maybe he made some of these comments, where you know, he could feel on the ground the anger uh, from from certain voters. And this is certainly not the return to Ottawa that Justin Trudeau was mm-hmm. expecting because, you know, he's trailing in the polls. Uh, he wants a new fresh start. And this is a, an attack that comes from within, so right. from the family. So that must hurt. Yeah, it, it's interesting, too, just as a final point in that we've, I've been reaching out to Kim McDonald all day since I saw your story, yeah. trying to get him to come on the show, trying to get him to, to say anything on this. He has gone silent, yep. uh, which is rare for him. And, yes. and, and there has been some suggestion all day that there would be a statement coming, maybe clarifying or retracting, but here we are at 5 Eastern and nothing. I mean, what are you hearing on that? I'm hearing the same thing. We actually started hearing that last night because the Prime Minister's office was made aware that this story was going to come out this morning. And we are waiting to hear you know, something from somebody on this. Right. Uh, no comment, no official comment yet from the Prime Minister's office. So it's going to be really interesting to see also how what impact it has on the caucus meeting that started today in Ottawa, continuing tomorrow and, and Friday. Okay. Uh, Laurence, great work, and thanks for coming to the show. That's Laurence Marchand, my colleague with Radio Canada here in Ottawa, and we're going to have more coverage of this story, including liberal reaction and the power panel's take coming up later in the show. All right, turning now to a developing story out of London, Ontario. The Globe and Mail is reporting that five members of Canada's 2018 World Junior Hockey Team have been told to surrender to police. They reportedly face charges connected to an alleged group sexual assault of a woman in a hotel room following a fundraising gala. The CBC's Sarah Galashin joins us now on this. So, Sarah, police are not confirming these charges yet, but what do we know at this point? Well, certainly, David, uh, CBC is working to to confirm this reporting that's being done by the the Globe and Mail. It is based on uh, sources, unnamed sources. It would appear that uh, confirmation of this report is not going to come, at least publicly, from official London police services, at least not today. And just about uh, over an hour ago, we did hear from the London police service. They issued uh, both a press release slash social media post that acknowledges significant public interest uh, related to a sex assault investigation that does go back to 2018 saying that they anticipate being able to share details of that investigation at a press conference Monday, February 5th. So if you take a look at a calendar, that is almost uh, two weeks away from now. A lot of advanced uh, notice for what might be to come, uh, which is really, uh, you know, any details would be long-awaited uh, news of this investigation. Investigation uh, from the police that was opened initially in 2018. It was closed and then reopened again in 2022 when the public became uh, aware of the details of uh, these allegations um, that an accuser, a, a female accuser, had sued eight unnamed players, Hockey Canada 
and the Canadian Hockey League for more than $3.5 million, um, a civil case that was settled outside of court uh, for an undisclosed amount. But from the woman's statement of claim, as well as from court filings that have since been made public, uh, it's since been, un- and have since been um, unsealed, rather, um, we know some of what those allegations are, and that is that the woman met a player uh, with the uh, the men's world junior team back in 2018 at a bar in London, Ontario, that there was alcohol consumed, that they went back to a hotel, uh, and that there was consensual uh, sex that, that took place. But then sometime later, a number of other uh, players entered that room, and that's when the alleged uh, group sexual assaults took place um, involving videotape uh, in which uh, the woman is heard being asked if she's okay and seen uh, wiping her eyes and, and slurring her words. And, and she told, according to the court filings, David, police back in 2018 that she had no recollection of any recordings being made. When the public learned uh, about these allegations, Sarah, it sparked a, a lot of outrage, as you referenced, and led mm-hmm. to a number of investigations. Yes, yeah, not just uh, the police reopening their investigation in London, Ontario, but also uh, Hockey Canada launched an investigation. The NHL launched an investigation. Remember, we're talking about uh, former members of the, the the World Junior Hockey Team, so elite Canadian uh, hockey players. Uh, those investigations, both by the NHL and Hockey Canada, we have no details. They were launched in 2022. We, we know nothing of, of those results. But among those who are expressing interest in what might come of the police investigation, in London, Ontario, was Canada's sports minister. She put out uh, a post on social media, four pages long, um, but part of it reads that the reckoning that we are seeing in hockey and across the sports system is the result of brave survivors coming forward to share their lived experiences. She says she is aware of recent developments regarding the London police investigation involving members of the 2018 uh, World Junior Team. Now, she doesn't uh, elaborate on what those developments might be, um, but again, the Globe Mail reporting that five members of that team have been told to surrender themselves to the London police in order to face charges for sexual assault. Okay, Sarah, uh, thank you so much. That's the CBC Sarah Galashin with us tonight. Canadians eager to see interest rates go down will have to wait a little while longer. The Bank of Canada has opted for a fourth straight time to keep its key benchmark at 5%. We know Canadians want to see interest rates come down. So do we. We want to see inflationary pressures ease further. We want to be convinced we're on a path back to 2% inflation. And when we have more assurance uh, that we're on that path, we can start discussing lowering interest rates. But we're not there yet. Okay, so when will we be there? Dominic Lapointe is Director of Macro Strategy at Manual Life Investment Management, and he joins me now from Montreal. Dominic, it's nice to meet you. Good evening. So this is the, the fourth time the Bank of Canada holds the interest rate at 5%. You saw the data and you heard the commentary. What does this tell you about where we're at? I think it's the next logical step for the Bank of Canada that they had to take. Uh, if you read what they're saying, they're acknowledging that the Canadian economy is weakening. Uh, job prospects are not as good as they were only six months ago. And so it does tell them, it does tell us too, that rates are high enough right now. And that now the conversation needs to shift, and that's also what they're telling us, mm-hmm. to for how long are we going to keep rates at these levels implicitly meaning that the next time we're moving, it's to lower interest rates. And then it becomes of the question of the timing and when, but that's the core message today. Uh, 
Okay, so that, that's your core message there, but uh, Tiff Macklem did say he couldn't rule out future rate hikes if inflationary pressures do sort of roar back. But he said that if the economy evolves broadly in line with their projections, he thinks the next conversation will be about how long to keep it at five or, or when to start cutting. So wh- what do you, do you think they need to see in the evolution of the economy, to, to use um, Tiff Macklem's word? Yes, on inflation, uh, there are upside risks to inflation, uh, especially what we see happening in the Red Sea and uh, transport costs rising globally. So there could be upside risk inflation right now. But I think that what we, we see from the Bank of Canada is they also now they know that they don't necessarily control all of the inflation coming from global factors, food inflation, energy inflation. So they might be able to see through this uh, tolerate a bit more of inflationary pressure in the near term so that they can focus on the Canadian economy. Growth is is weak. As I said, the labor market is not as strong. There are um, very fewer jobs being created right now in the private sector. So if you forecast where we're going to be in the next four or five months, I think we'll have more evidence of that slowdown. Unfortunately, the labor market's not going to get stronger over that period. So they're going to be in a situation when um, rate cuts will be more necessary. Um, and then it remains to be seen the trade-off between our, can they tolerate that bit of inflation to help the economy not go into an outright recession? Right, because Manulife is projecting that the first half of this year is going to see the economy shrink, right, before recovering in the second half, if I've got your uh, analysis correct in my head here. Uh, how do you think that plays out and how do interest rates factor into that uh, projection? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we do forecast what we call a technical recession. So just to be clear, that would be three in our forecast, three quarters with real GDP declining. But if you compare it to other recessions, 2008, 2009, 2020, it's it's not really com- comparable. It's a much shallower recession. Mm-hmm. But that's based on the assumption that we can, can we, we can lower rates as soon as the spring so that we achieve a sustainable rebound in the second half of this year. Right. So do you see the spring? Is that the timeline where you think the bank is going to act like in March or something like that when, when they get together next? So that they, that's when they might start mm-hmm. doing slow, gradual cuts to the interest rate? If you, if you look at the data and what's coming and then we're talking about more evidence of slower inflation and more evidence of slower economic growth, March might be a bit premature. They might want a bit more assurance about that. I think they don't want to cut rate too early and then we have an, a larger upside surprise to inflation and they, they have to reverse course. But at the same time, I think it's important to point out, it's much preferable from a policy perspective, I think, to cutting early as soon as April or in an orderly fashion. So small cuts at every meeting instead of waiting a much longer time. So beyond the summer, for example, and then facing a larger recession, facing job losses, and having to have deeper and more rapid cuts to avoid that. So uh, like a, a series of what, quarter point, like 25 basis point decreases, is that how you envision it uh, potentially going to sort of like loosen the taps slowly when it comes to, uh, to borrowing? I'd say that's an almost ideal scenario where we go through that economic period at the beginning of this year and then before things get out of control from an economic perspective, they slowly lower rates. And I also want to point out, when you do start lowering interest rates, 
you're still keeping rates at an elevated level. So if I say if you go from 5% to 4.75, households in Canada are still going to feel that interest rates are pretty high. So it's a, it's a, it's a gradual process that if they start a bit early, and I mean by that, uh, the spring, um, they can do it in an orderly fashion. Right. And we are seeing already some mortgage rates are coming down from the highs of last summer. You know, uh, you're seeing some relief there for people, but they're still going to be renewing at a higher rate than, than, than what they were paying before for the most part. Uh, but but the, the challenge, I guess, uh, Dominique, is that we did see the, the annual inflation rate. It went up right in December, up to 3.4 mm-hmm. from 3.1. Uh, the bank thinks that it's going to drop down to around the 2% target by about 2025. So at least another year of slightly elevated inflation. Watch your analysis on that. Do you think it could come down faster and sooner than that, or does 2025 look like a a realistic timeline here? I think it's a realistic timeline. Um, When you look back at earlier periods, um, a good predictor of where, and and the focus on what we call core inflations, right? So when we remove food Mm -hmm. and energy from it, that's what the Bank of Canada is looking at right now. So services, personal care, uh, appliances, uh, usually when the economy weakens, then businesses don't feel they have the same pricing power and they start lowering prices or stop increasing prices at a fast rate. So I think the Bank of Canada is anticipating that this will happen. But again, I think that they are concerned about the fact that global factors and impacting inflations have mentioned um, uh, the Red Sea tensions that are putting uh, pressure on global supply chain that could lead to more inflation. And unfortunately, even if you leave rates at 5% forever, you might not get that part of the inflation down. Right. Yeah, there are certain things that are just beyond uh, monetary policy uh, to solve. Uh, uh, Dominic Lapointe, thank you so much uh, for joining us tonight. That's Dominic Lapointe with Manulife Investment Management in Montreal. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Reactions are pouring in over this week's federal court ruling on the Emergencies Act. A federal judge says the federal government's decision to use the act was unreasonable. One group that brought the lawsuit forward continues to tout the win today, but the federal government says the fight isn't over. This decision is really important. It sets out the guidance for future governments on when they can invoke these extraordinary powers. It provides legal clarity. It provides transparency. We do not agree with this decision, and respectfully, we will be appealing. Stephanie Carvin is an associate professor at Carleton University. She specializes in national security issues, and Leah West is an assistant professor also at Carleton, and she specializes in national security law. You know, when the Emergencies Act was in the news, we had to get you two back on the show. So I want to thank you both for joining us. So, Steph, you know, we spoke almost nightly uh, throughout the Rouleau Commission, uh, or sorry, certainly had our Friday panels to wrap it all up, and here we are again with this ruling. What's your reaction to what we heard from the federal court? Uh, Honestly, I wasn't that surprised for a number of reasons. Um, Justice Mosley is someone who has uh, handed national security agencies some very, very um, significant smackdowns, I guess you could put it that way. Um, But generally speaking, he's someone who has not really favored any kind of arguments where he thinks the government is kind of expanding its powers or interpreting them in a novel way. So when, when he was the judge uh, in charge, I wasn't that surprised. But also, 
I think it's worth noting that even Justice Rouleau in his commission report said, this is a very hard question and reasonable people could come to a different conclusion. And here we have a reasonable person coming to a different conclusion, having weighed the evidence. So I, I'm not that surprised. Um, as Lee and I talked about, I think last year when, when the original uh, commission report came down, this, you know, it, it isn't exactly a clear case. And, and um, yeah, so it's something that the government is going to have to appeal to the Supreme Court. Leah, what, what's your take on it? What, what we saw, I mean, the, the different conclusion than Judge Rouleau, it, it, it stands out, right? Yeah, I think um, two important things to remember is that um, Justice Rouleau's mandate was much broader than just asking whether or not the Emergencies Act was invoked. Um, that really it wasn't his task. It was a much broader task than that. Um, whereas Justice Mosley was asked, simply to apply the facts to the law mm-hmm. um, in a much met less politically charged environment. Um, and so uh, he, it really does get stripped down to those necessary facts and the clear argumentation of the law put forward by the lawyers before him. And what you get is a very, thir- very thorough analysis um, applying those facts to the law. And what you get is a different um, understanding of the level of, I would say, the seriousness of the violence mm-hmm. um, that uh, was faced as a result of the of the convoy and the blockades, and what kind of violence would give rise to a national emergency, and what kind of um, legal situations within the provinces would give rise to a national emergency, and he came to a different conclusion. You know, uh, as Steph, we, we spoke with uh, Paul Daly on the show last night, a U of O uh, law professor on this, and, and he zeroed in on the fact that uh, essentially Judge Mosley found that the government didn't meet the bar, they didn't meet the justification that this was a truly national emergency and really what we're dealing with is an Ottawa problem. What does that mean going forward if something like this should happen again? I, I mean, what are the implications, you think, of, 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 of that finding? So for me, I, I think there's a number of implications. One, look, I do think it's good that we have clarity around certain rules protecting protests, right? I mean, this has always been a concern of um, civil libertarians and groups like indigenous protesters and environmentalists and things like this who are always going to be worried, right, that maybe a different government is going to want to use the Emergency Act in in, in this kind of in ways that disadvantage them, right? So having clarity around the rules, I think, is important. But that being said, the sense I get from both uh, the commission report last year and this re- recent decision is that our emergency laws are out of date. Um, the act itself probably needs a good update. Uh, there, you know, the, there is no, as, as you know, Justice Mosley points out, there is no economic emergency in Canada's national security legislation. Should there be? Well, we should probably have a debate about that and think about this going forward because there may be groups who who try to do similar things now. I do believe that police forces are a little bit more prepared and looking out for these kinds of things. But um, to me, again, it suggests that, you know, in yet another area of national security law, our our ideas are outdated, our our notions are outdated, and it's something we should probably review um, before it does happen again. Leah, how do you think it, it can be changed and needs to be changed, you know, based on, on, on what we've seen here and the deficiencies or improvements that, that Justice Rouleau recommended? Because, 
you know, the, the feds felt they had to do this because they, 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 they stood by it yesterday and they said they're going to appeal. Uh, and, and they really felt that Ontario let them down and left them with no choice. So, so how does this need to be changed to clear up this muddiness that's there? Well, I think it, uh, we, on the Ontario let them down point, uh, Justice Mosley doesn't say it, but he definitely alludes to that fact. Mm -hmm. uh, and he alludes to the fact that inaction by a province to deal with a growing crisis under the law is not sufficient to trigger a national emergency. And perhaps it should be. Um, given uh, provincial and federal relations and the different um, political parties and factions across the country, we could potentially see a situation like, for example, we saw in the United States where you had governors of states refusing to implement certain emergency measures that would uh, safeguard their communities. Um, could that happen in Canada in the future? Potentially, just because they have the ability to in implement laws and then choose not to, Justice Mosley says very clearly, that does not give rise to a national emergency. Mm. And we might want to rethink that, that fact. The second point is tying the definitions of threat to the security of Canada that could give rise to a public order emergency to the CSIS Act um, was something that was convenient in the 1980s. It is no longer convenient and no longer captures the types of um, damage to uh, our infrastructure, our economy that could give rise as a result of protest. Mm -hmm. And we might want to be thinking about giving the government the powers to uh, invoke emergency measures when we do have an economic crisis as a result of public uh, dis civil disobedience. Uh, Steph, you said off the top that this is probably going to go uh, to the Supreme Court. Um, the Supreme Court will I don't know what they're going to do, but they often do like to give guidance, right, on, on, on issues that are murky legally but of profound national implications. I mean, what, what's your sense of, of what might happen? Do you think it, it's something they're going to take a look at and, and offer some guidance on? Um, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll put on my fake lawyer hat uh, just, <laughs> just for you, Dave. Um, but what I would say is um, I, I think it's going to come down to, I mean, the point that Leah made, uh, I think, at the beginning of this segment, which is that, you know, uh, what Justice Rouleau was looked at was this much broader interpretation, a much broader question. Right. And the Supreme Court's probably going to go the Mosley route and look at the very kind of more specific question of the law. That being said, I mean, we do know national security is what we call a crown prerogative power, generally speaking, and that the government does have broad powers under this. But uh, given that there is legislation there, um, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see where they come down again. Um, I, I think this the whole decision that we had last year, the decision we had this year, really goes to show that there there is so much unfinished business here and that this was such a difficult issue that to come out with a definitive answer, yes or no, is just unsatisfactory sometimes. Mm. And we see this actually in both rulings where there's sympathy given for the other side of, of, of whoever's making their decision uh, going forward. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes, but it'll also be interesting to see where the Supreme Court or how the Supreme Court is feeling about the government's national security powers. Uh, Leah, just as a final point, I mean, the government said yesterday uh, Im immediately they're going to appeal. Uh, they didn't really state on what grounds, just that they didn't agree with the decision. I, I mean, w w how do you see them advancing, you know, a a an appeal? I is there something they can point to or they just have to say, we don't like this decision, we want a another court to take a look at it? 
So ultimately, there were four rulings against the government, um, two that found uh, that supported the decision that the justification of the emergency act was unreasonable, and two that we haven't talked about that I think will be more consequential, um, at least um, in the short term, is the finding that the, some of the measures imposed were unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. Um, so the federal court of appeal will first deal with those four issues. I suspect the government would appeal all four of them as they are unfavorable. Um, and whether or not uh, the Federal Court of Appeal takes them up on any of those um, remains to be seen. I, quite frankly, will be surprised if this goes to the Supreme Court of Canada, because I do not think that these are hard questions of fact um, or law or novel legal interpretation. It's a pretty straightforward statutory interpretation, apply the facts to the law. And as long as it's been done well and with rigor, which I suppose, I believe that it has in this case. I suspect the Federal Court of Appeal will find the same thing. They may quibble around the edges, but I don't see a lot for the Supreme Court of Canada to do here. Okay, interesting. And that's why we have national security law experts on to give us that uh, proper analysis. I want to thank you both. Stephanie Carvin, Leo West, it's good to have you back. Thanks, gang. Thank you. A liberal MP says it might be time for a leadership review for Justin Trudeau. If you go from a majority government to a minority government, there's supposed to be a leadership review. That hasn't happened. So you think at least there should be a leadership review in the Liberal Yes. Let's clear the air. Let's, you know, let's, as a parity, let's clear the air. Some of McDonald's Liberal colleagues weighed in as they returned to Ottawa ahead of Parliament's return next Monday. Mr. McDonald and I have had a good many conversations. Uh, Mr. McDonald could not be more wrong about this one, though. There's always going to be differences of opinion and issues, but the Liberal Party is the party that's grounded in, in values and principles for Canadians that I support. And, and because of that, I stand by the leader. I stand by the Prime Minister. I'm good with the, the Prime Minister running again. I'm good if he wants to say, but I'm also open to the prospect of... Uh, having a review. Okay, so that's a heck of a way to open your uh, winter caucus meetings. We're going to bring in the power panel to talk about the potential political fallout from these comments. Amanda Alvaro is a political commentator. Leah Ward is a vice president with Wellington Advocacy and a former director of communications for Rachel Notley. And here with me in the studio, Tim Powers is the chair of Summa Strategies and Sherelle Evelyn is the managing editor of The Hill Times. Okay, Amanda. Um, <laughs> how's the cabinet reset working so far? Look, we, we are expecting a statement from Ken McDonald uh, offering some sort of clarification or retraction of his comments. Yvonne Jones uh, told Rafi Bujikanian and other reporters that Ken McDonald texted her and said a statement is coming. While we're waiting for that, we oh, have dear. to deal with what he said, not what he's going to say. Uh, what, how could he put that toothpaste back into the tube after what he said to my colleague Laurence Martin? Well, this is the problem. You can't put it back in the tube. And and it's always a bad day when you have to issue a clarification statement, right? I'm going to use a sports analogy. I know I promised I would never do this again. But it's like going out for the Super Bowl game and criticizing the quarterback before you get out on the field. Like this, just before you're about to play. This is a problem. It's like a cardinal rule. Please don't do this. Mm -hmm. You can have the opinion. You're entitled to those opinions. And you can have those conversations in the confines of your own home. But to have these stream of consciousness type 
like public interviews about the credibility or the viability of the current leader just seeds a doubt, a doubt that, you know, the party has been really exposed to. And I think it just lends itself uh, to a narrative that obviously the opposition parties have been clinging to as well. So it's not helpful. It's not a helpful day. And uh, we'll all look with bated breath for that clarification <laughs> statement, which will make it all right in the world. Yes. Uh, yeah, Tim, the clarification is definitely what's going to dominate uh, the, the, the conversation uh, on this one. But I mean, look, Pierre Polyev has already jumped yeah. on this. He's saying, look, even liberal MPs say Justin Trudeau is not worth the cost. Now, he's not saying he should step down, but he's saying maybe the party needs to do a review and, and, and consider things. I mean, what are the implications of all this? I'm surprised you didn't lead with Amanda. How big of a pain in the backside are Newfoundlanders and Labradorians? <laughs> she deals with two every week here, and now Ken from the Avalon, who both you and I know. Look, uh, first of all, Mr. McDonald, this is not surprising from Ken. Uh, he has had a, a history, which is borne out well for him at home anyway, of going against the government on certain things. He was certainly one of the first MPs before the Atlantic caucus got on board to talk about uh, Atlantic uh, Canadian regional relief on, yep. on carbon taxation. That helps him, does not help Justin Trudeau at all. I mean, the rest of the country, maybe are for learning for the first time tonight of some of the regional politics at play here, but they're reading headlines or are looking at Facebook or wherever. Well, I guess they're not getting the information on Facebook <laughs> anymore, <laughs> no. but other social platforms that still allow sharing and seeing a Liberal MP is calling for a leadership review. It just plays into the narrative that the Prime Minister has been fighting against for weeks, if not months, that um, the party's in trouble, he's in trouble, now his own people are coming after him. And as Amanda said, uh, you know, uh, when you go after the star quarterback in the game, you ought to expect it's not going to go well for you. Leah, I, I wonder how you think this is uh, going to play, um, you know, out, outside of the Ottawa bubble. I, I mean, uh, I was assured emphatically in mm -hmm. the run-up to the cabinet retreat we just went to cover that all the talk about the prime minister's future was over uh, internally, and then kaboom. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, David, for me, this is, it's like Tim was saying, it's not an unexpected move uh, from someone like Ken, where the failure here is in, in Trudeau's sort of uh, just lack of leadership in dealing with it. He's let him get away with, you know, undermining cornerstone policy of the government, uh, openly speculating about crossing the floor, voting against government motions. Um, you know, this is a government that, you know, you know, is, is, is determined not to make the same mistake twice. They need to make it three or four times before they learn their lesson. This guy's got to go. He's not saving them seats in Atlantic Canada. Uh, and, you know, he might lose it anyway or he might walk away. You, you think they should kick him out? Um, I, there, there's some suggestion that he started apologizing to people and reaching out and, and maybe suggesting it was taken out of context. I mean, we all saw the tape. I don't know. But <laughs> do, you think, do you think they should cut ties with Ken McDonald? Is that what you're suggesting there? Yeah, they should. I, th I think they should have the first time he stepped out of bounds. Yeah, it should would have should have should have been an opportunity for decisive leadership from Justin Trudeau, which is the crux of 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 where you know Pierre Poilievre is able to come in and, dem mm. and 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 use this against him as a, as a weak, ineffective, and and tired leader. Um, th this should have been dealt with years ago. Sherelle, uh you know, I, I don't I don't know if they can do that now, uh, you know, because it looks like you know, you're, you're firing a guy for questioning uh, the leadership. If there's a clarification coming, I mean, how can they, they clean up this spill on aisle can? <laughs> I mean, 
it wouldn't be the first time, though, just kind of pick up on what Leo was saying, it, w- yeah. it wouldn't be the first yeah. time that Trudeau has, you know, kicked somebody out or pushed mm-hmm. somebody out for questioning leadership and questioning him. And though usually those people who do get booted are women. So it's usually the men who get to kind of say what they want and end up, you know, getting to stay put. So that's kind of a trend that we've seen with this prime minister and with this government for, you know, for a few years now. Um, I would say that, there, you know what, there is no um, mechanism for a leadership review. I know uh, it's escaping me now who exactly said it on on the clips there earlier, but, you know, they said, you know, I believe it was Mr. McDonald himself, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're in a minority government, there should be a leadership review. According to the party constitution, you only have to have that leadership review if, you've no, if you no longer... If you uh, lose the election. If you lose the election yeah. and, you, and you don't get to be prime minister anymore, then you have to face a leadership mm-hmm. review. So there isn't a mechanism there. The, the party, which the MPs vote for, the party doesn't subscribe to the Reform Act. Um, so there is no you know, internal mechanism that the MPs can even give themselves as a caucus to instigate right. a leadership review. So they have you know, those, that tool if they wanted it, um, which they've never used in the few years that it's been um, a thing. So it is possible for, you know, the prime minister to bring down the hammer. Um, He has chosen not to with um, Kent Donald, with other male MPs, um, Mm. which we haven't seen with other people who've spoken out. Um, But of course, it's when the calls are coming from inside the house, it's never a good thing. They did do Massimo Pacetti and Scott Andrews. They got kicked out of the caucus, uh, ironically. some, yeah, no, I know, yeah. I know, I know, but I just, just, just putting those facts out right. there. There's, there's those are allegations of inappropriate, very inappropriate right. behavior. Yeah. And, and as Amanda would know, but the, the difference, uh, Leah and, and Cheryl are giving advice that maybe in a different environment would be taken or could be taken. But the thing is here, as Amanda well knows, mm-hmm. you would be giving Ken McDonald all the power by kicking him out. You kick okay. him out now, he can run as a sheepdog for the sheepdog party in Newfoundland and Labrador or at any level and win because he'll have been the person who stood up to Justin Trudeau. It's not clear whether Ken is going to run again federally or not, whether he may run provincially or not. I think the Prime Minister in this case, because this because of the MP's behavior, it's been habitual, is wise just to try and say that is Ken. This is yeah. Ken. But again, doesn't take the bigger problem away from him. I mean, it was Percy Down, the the former or current senator, former chief of staff to the uh, Prime Minister Kretschmer, who was making this similar argument or a version of this argument in December. When these arguments start to come in bunches, Mm. it's hard to put them back in the bottle. Well, and Amanda, I I, I talked to a a few people looking for the reaction on this today. One common thing I heard is that he's kind of saying publicly what a lot of liberals are saying privately that maybe we do need to consider this we, you know, we certainly saw that sentiment maybe going into the caucus retreat in London last year. And the other thing that stood out for me is, what the hell are you putting in the water out there in Newfoundland? Who's, 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 <laughs> was the other more, more interesting question. But what do you think they, they will do and can do uh, about Ken McDonald if he doesn't come out with a statement completely retracting this? Uh, well, I totally agree with Tim. I think that the absolute wrong move would be to take an axe to Ken McDonald right now. I think that that would just play into all kinds of uh, additional peripheral narratives about uh, control and trying to silence people who have something to say or who have something to say on behalf of their constituents. I think it's absolutely the wrong message. Um, I do think, though, like, listen, this is this is a leader who has said unequivocally that he's running. There isn't a leadership review. There isn't a mechanism, as Sherelle has said. It's not happening. 
So now is the time to get behind the leader and start to coalesce behind one focused and direct message. This is the purpose, we believe, of the retreats, the purpose of, of a communication that's unified. Um, so for this to be the first thing out and for other MPs to have to take the position of defense is a really challenging way for them to kick off what should have been you know, brand new day when it comes to communications. So Leah, I, I don't know if Rachel Notley ever dealt with something like this <laughs> when, when you were working for her, but if, if you were advising a, a leader of a party facing this, I mean, what would you recommend? If you're not going to do the kick out option, which you said should be the first choice, what's the comm strategy here to try to make this go away? Is it just say that's Ken being Ken or what? Uh, no, I mean, I, I stand by kick him out. That, that, that I think is, I think the only way Ken makes heading, uh, headlines is by being a member of government who's speaking out against government. An independent uh, former member of the Liberal government in Newfoundland isn't going to make headlines for standing up against government uh, policy. So, so I, I strongly disagree with the pushback on, on the kicking him out thing. But, okay, I'll play ball. So if we're not <laughs> kicking him out, then I, <laughs> then I think, then I think the, the, pri- the Prime Minister comes out and 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 says you know similar to, to, to what we've been bouncing around right you know what the point the point of this retreat is to come up with a game plan to go into the next election we need to be more united than ever uh, we're gearing up for the for you know the fight of our lives uh, you're either in it uh, with me or or you're not and mm-hmm. and you know and put the decision back on Ken uh, and and sort of distance himself from it if, if, if he's not going to take decisive leadership action yeah Sherelle and as Tim mentioned I mean it, it seems almost certain Ken McDonald is going to run provincially uh, for Andrew Fury, the only Liberal Premier in the country at the provincial level. And what's interesting there is, we was talking with Laurence earlier in the show, is there's a provincial by-election happening there. Fred Hutton is running for Mm -hmm. Andrew Fury uh, to win the seat of the old interim Conservative leader, and there's no Liberal logos on the sign because of the sentiment that Ken Mm. McDonald is talking about. It all says Team Fury, right? So... On, on this situation now, with caucus here, you can almost hear the frustrated sighs from the liberals <laughs> that the Emergency Act ruling dropped yeah. on their cabinet retreat. I know this happens with their caucus. They just have a total inability to get a clean day. Yeah, it's like I'm sure they're feeling like they can't catch a break. And But, you know, some of it is, of course, of their making. Some of it is, you know, outside forces. Um, I think the point there is that they need to not have any more of these things that are of their making stand in their way and create these hurdles because yes yes they are bad at communications they're bad at messaging they're bad at you know coming together with that one focused narrative point um this isn't helping obviously there's other things that the liberals need to do aside from communications um they need you know all the underpinnings that go with that um but when it comes to, you know, setting the stage for what is supposed to be, you know, the next few months of, of a parliamentary setting, it's, it's, it's not a good look. No, it's, uh, the reset is, is struggling here. Okay, gang, we've got to leave it there. Uh, thank you very much to the Power Panel. Amanda Alvaro, Leah Ward making her debut, making their debut, and Tim Power and Sherelle Evelyn. Thanks so much, gang. That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.